beautiful souls, it's Julie Jancis here. I've been getting a lot of questions about the services that I offer, so I just want to run through this real quick. I offer one-on-one readings by phone, Skype, and in person in Wheaton and Naperville, Illinois. I also offer Reiki training and my own angel school where you can learn how to communicate with your angels. Another thing that I do is I offer a lot of speaking engagements. I do a lot of speaking engagements. If you'd like me to come speak at your church or in your community, please get in touch. You can learn about all of this on my website at www.jancis.com. That's J-A-N-C-I-U-S dot com. You're listening to Angels and Awakening, where we believe daily life can be lived from a constant state of love, joy, peace, bliss, ease, and grace. Why are people always searching for a better way to live? Because there is one. Life doesn't have to be stress-filled and anxiety-ridden. You can make lasting changes that lead to a life you love. My name's Julie Jancis. I have the gift of connecting with angels and bringing through their healing, positive messages to my clients every day. Join us on the Angels and Awakening podcast each week as we explore big spiritual questions, interview experts, and bring through angel messages. I'm so excited you're here. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Angels and Awakening. I'm Julie Jancis, and today we are here with Dr. Karen Wyatt, and she is a master of all trades. She is a retired hospice care worker. She has um, three published books. She's working on more, but there's also other e-books that she has online. She is a wealth of resources for our community, so I'm just so excited that you get to meet her and just get to know her today. Um, Karen, you also run the podcast End of Life University. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I I started this about six years ago when I, I was trying to put my first book out into the world and I realized how much resistance there was in our society to talking about death and dying and afterlife issues. And I recognize that we just need a lot more education in our society since we don't talk about death and people don't normally face up to it. So I I thought about what I could do to try to help with education. And I just started doing interviews that I would post online on my website. So it wasn't even a podcast in the beginning. I would just, I'd find somebody who was doing interesting work and I'd interview them and then I'd post the recording on my website so that thinking people could would come across it and could at least be learning things about about issues around the end of life and the afterlife so it started from there and then a couple of years later I learned about podcasts so then I turned it into a podcast series and I've been doing it ever since and really enjoying that. Oh, how fun is that? And do you guys tell stories too about how people have connected with, you know, uh, loved ones on the other side? 
Yes, that has that has happened. A lot of the people I interview are actually people working in hospice and working with um, with the dying, maybe death doulas. But it often comes up that people have stories about uh, patients having deathbed visions, and then and then I have interviewed several people who've had afterlife experiences as well. Wonderful. So for those of us who aren't familiar with hospice care, you know, some people go into hospice and they do come out, right? Um, yes. But Okay. Can you kind of explain that for those of us who don't know? Okay. Well, hospice care is care that's provided when someone has a terminal illness and has a diagnosis, a prognosis of six months or less left to live as far as doctors know. And so um, it's always a little bit uncertain because we can't always tell for sure how long a person has to live. But that six-month guideline is in the hospice regulations. So so a patient begins to receive care, and it's comfort care to make sure that they're not experiencing pain or other distressing symptoms as they're reaching the end of life. And it can't, most often hospice care is done in the patient's home. So it's for, for patients who have family members who want to stay with them and help care for them at home. And then the whole hospice staff comes to the home to help provide care and visit the patient. But there are some inpatient units as well where patients can go. And so the majority of patients do die while they're on hospice because that's what they're there for, is to be cared for as they're dying. But we've had, I've had a number of patients who actually got better and ended up getting discharged. That's amazing. Um, well, and through this work, you're so close to the other side, right? Because you're so close to this energy of transition between this life and the other side. And um, for all of our listeners out there, I got to talk to Karen before uh, about all of this. So um, if you want to hear our full um, talk, our preliminary conversation, it's over on Patreon. If you want to become a Patreon member and sign up, you can sign up for very little um, each month and you get to hear all these preliminary interviews with all of the guests on the show. But um, in that preliminary interview, Karen, we talked about how you have really bridged the gap because hospice care is very um, medical. It's from very scientific background, but because you're so close to this energy of transitioning to the other side, you really saw the spirituality and all of it. And I know you have some really fascinating stories to tell us about even seeing dreams of people, um, your clients before they passed. Yes, yes. And in my own story, I came to hospice in a state of deep grief myself because um, I was just a family practice doctor. I didn't know anything about death and dying. I'd never even thought about it or thought about the afterlife. But my dad died of suicide and I was just plunged into devastating grief and guilt. And it was out of that, out of a need to try to understand my own guilt and my own grief that I came to hospice because I just felt like I need to be closer to death in order to understand this and make sense of it. So, so in a way, I came to hospice with all of this openness and curiosity and an open heart and a need for my own healing and understanding. So I was really ripe for this spiritual 
aspect of death and dying. And it was a privilege to get to sit at the bedside of people who were close to death. And what I, what I really observed, what it seemed to me is that I was watching their physical form dissolve away a little bit at a time as they approached dying. And as their physical bodies became less and less functional, I felt like their souls began to shine forth more and more. And in the beginning, I actually physically saw a light coming from them, from their faces. When I would go visit patients, I would think, where's the light? Is there a light behind the bed? Or where's that light that's shining on the person's face? But it was actually their own soul, really just the light of the soul shining through them. And that was uh, really powerful for me to recognize that dying is really, it really is a process. People have called it like, um, shedding your clothes, <laughs> it, you know, like it's really the soul leaving behind the body and it's this gradual process that happens. And to be able to witness it and understand it and see what was happening at the time was very powerful for me. That's so fascinating because when um, spirit has come through to me in all of my sessions, what they do show me is that they show me an hourglass where you have like the big part on one side, it gets really small in the middle and the big part on the other side. And it's almost as our energy, they said, just flows from this realm right into the next realm that it just trickles bit by bit. And so that's how you really see it too. Yes, yes. And that there's this really, it's like really magical, miraculous time when people are actually in both realms at the same time as that process is happening. And I think that's what we as hospice workers get a chance to share in that because we're actually um, sitting with the patient and seeing what they're kind of tuning into what they're experiencing and getting to see what's happening for them as they're still here in this world, but they're experiencing the other realm at the same time. So um, this didn't happen particularly to me, but you know, when my parents divorced, I kind of took on a pseudo grandma and grandpa and um, my grandpa Ed, when he passed, he, I didn't see this firsthand, but his family would say, the days before he passed, he was talking to people who had been on the other side for a very long time. And he kept saying, I need to get my shoes. I need to get my suit ready. I got to get ready for my big party. And he, I really believe that he was seeing those people on the other side coming to greet him. He was transitioning and he was in both sides at the same time. Yes, yes. And I've seen that happen many times. Um, patients I've worked with having, um, well, they would report it sometimes as a dream um, that they had, or other patients just said this was, no, the people were really here. They were here in the room. And uh, oftentimes they were loved ones who had died or sometimes friends um, who had died. And many times when patients weren't um, awake or alert enough to tell us what they were seeing, we could hear them talking though, just as, just as you heard about your grandfather, we could hear them um, talking to a person and sometimes calling them by name and then would realize like, oh, they're experiencing it 
a visitation from this person who must who must be here to escort them and help them make that transition and just surround them with love as they're in that process. Yeah. So then the physical soul leaving the body and, you know, not all people see colors, but you saw light leaving. Could you see it leaving the body? What did it look like? So you physically have a a person in bed and then where do you see the light? Uh, when when I saw it, and it was always like for the last, like, say, two weeks before a person died, I, I would see it primarily in their faces and their eyes, like, like light shining through them. Um, with my own mom, I was there partly because I was there so like 24-7 with her as she was dying. Um, about two hours before she stopped breathing, I it, it, I could sense visibly um, a transition. I sense her soul leaving her body. Her eyes rolled up a little bit in her head. And instantly I just felt like she's released, like her soul has released. And her body kept living. Her heart kept beating. She kept breathing for another two hours. But I already knew the separation has happened. Like she's out of the body now. And I sensed her presence in the room, but I knew that 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 transition had happened. Wow, that is absolutely incredible. Um, and just so fascinating. I'm, I'm just so fascinated by all of your work. I love the stories, though, that you tell about some of the clients that you dreamt of. Yes, and this, this started happening uh, a few years into my hospice work, and I wasn't really sure what to make of it, but it happened with um, patients that I got very close to in particular, because some of them were on our service for many months, sometimes even for a year, because they kind of outlived their prognosis. So I visited with them many times and got close to them. And in these situations, about two weeks before the person died, I would have a dream where I would see that person um, as I guess I would describe it as a light body, just completely filled with light and transparent. But their faces always looked a little younger than I knew them to be and always whole and healthy and so happy and full of love and light. And in each case, they came to me sometimes with a message, sometimes just to tell, just to tell me that they were okay and that, that everything would be all right. Um, one person that I saw actually came to me and he was dressed in a tuxedo and we danced together in my dream. And um, so, but always that happened a few weeks before the person died. And I, I guess I interpreted it that it was their soul letting me know that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm intact, I'm whole, I'm healthy, I'm well, and um, this is how things are going to be. This is where I'm headed. This is, this is how, where I will be after the death happens. Mm. There, there is no bad place that I've ever seen on the other side. Um, there's a place where we have to go to kind of work out some of our karma, but they say that souls can kind of get stuck between here and going to the other side. And you've seen this, you've witnessed this a little bit in maybe um, 
souls that you've connected with before they passed into heaven, not knowing um, these may be non-believers um, who who didn't know it was okay to walk into the light. Can you tell us some of those stories? Yes, one of the one of the patients, and and I had connected with her quite a lot before she died, and she she had never had any sort of religious belief or spiritual practice or any any spiritual awareness at all. She didn't believe in God or any sort of afterlife, so she really expected she believed that when she died, that would be it. Everything would be over, and she would enter into a black space, and life would be done. And um, I never tried to convince her differently. I just listened to what she believed. She did ask me questions sometimes about what I believed or what I had seen, but she was convinced that there, there, was, there would be nothing more. And it turned out that when she was very close to dying, I left town for several days. And so I had expected that she would die while I was away but when I got back to town, they reported to me she was still alive and she was hanging on much longer than anyone thought she would have and much longer than medically we would have expected her body to continue to be alive. So the nurse asked me if I would visit her. She said, maybe she's waiting for you because she needs something from you before she goes. And when I went to visit her, she was in a deep coma, um, but I could just feel her fear immediately. I could feel how afraid she was of actually letting go and actually dying. And so I held her hands and I got a vision that she could see a light in, in the distance and she was afraid of it, that she could, she could see something there in, in, waiting for her in the distance, but she was terrified to go there. So I just started talking to her as I held her hands and, and I told her, it doesn't matter that you've never believed any of this before. It doesn't matter that you, you never had a spiritual practice. You never had faith. It doesn't matter that all of this is new to you. The light that's there is there for you. And it's filled with love. And it's for you. And it, it doesn't matter that, that you didn't know this would happen or expect it. And and you don't have to worry that you don't deserve it now. It's there for you and it's waiting for you. And as I said those words to her, I just felt her entire body relax. And within about two hours, she fully passed on and died. But she was peaceful and comfortable and relaxed from that point on. And I didn't really know... I didn't expect that I would say that to her. I didn't know that any of that would happen. It just kind of came through me, the words that that needed to be said at that time. And when I reflected on it later, I felt like perhaps she had been holding herself back and really was stuck in a way and afraid to let this process and this passage happen simply because it was so new to her. It was nothing that she had ever experienced and she didn't know how to interpret it and didn't know if it was okay. So she needed reassurance. And I, I realized there are probably more patients than we even know who have that experience when they're dying, who seem to resist and fight against the dying process and um, die with, with fear and resistance and anger, but they just may not ever get the guidance and the help that they need at that time. 
Yeah. And you had brought this new term into my vocabulary, um, a, a death doula. And I love the concept. I um, I wish we could change the name. But, you know, we have psychics, we have mediums, we have angel readers, we have intuitives, um, Reiki masters, all doing wonderful work here on earth. But you're seeing a new field really emerge where people can be at the bedside and really help somebody make this transition. So can you talk to us about what a death doula is and um, and how you're seeing this really kind of come into mainstream society? Yeah, um, death doulas, or some people refer to them as death midwives, are being trained um, in some ways as birth midwives are to assist in the process of the, the passage and the transition that needs to take place. So they might have training in actually caring for a patient physically and helping with their symptoms, but also training um, spiritually in, in this process that's taking place and how to support the patient and the family. And even though families oftentimes are providing some of the physical care, the family members themselves are grieving. And so they're not necessarily in the best place spiritually and emotionally to provide the, all the support that the patient might need. So the doula is someone who can come in and listen and uh, even uh, guide the patient a little bit as they're getting closer to death. And some, some of them, they, they sometimes have diff a different focus for their work, but some of them are specifically there to guide the dying process, to be there as the person is dying. Um, and I think it's really valuable and really helpful. The, a lot of times the hospice nurses, they're too busy providing medical care uh, in that focus to be there in that spiritual way for a patient. And as I said, family members can't always accomplish that either. Is it also taboo when you're working in the medical field? Um, are there times where maybe nurses or people who are working with somebody is, who is dying um, doesn't feel like it's their place to bring in that spirituality? Absolutely. And that's so common in medicine. We're really trained that um, that's not our place. It's not our role. And we have to leave aside the spiritual issues. So it's a very uncomfortable for most nurses and doctors who've been traditionally trained to play that role or, or to even approach that. So doulas are much more likely to have that training. And I do know one person who's a doula who has, she has been able to communicate with um, with dying patients, partly because she herself was in a coma for a number of years. So she said that she enters the realm of the, of the patient and she's able to communicate with them. And it's really powerful, the work that she does. And I would love to, so she's had training as a doula and, and this training as a medium of sorts that she combines together. And I'd love to see more people with mediumship skills become doulas because there's such a valuable role to play there in terms of just connecting and reassuring people who are going through the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, definitely valuable and definitely needed. I wonder if maybe afterwards you could give me her name. Maybe we could interview her on here because that's a fascinating topic. Yes, yes. You would love talking to her. I will. I'll, oh, I'll fantastic. Information. Thank you, Karen. So you have 
all of this experience, all of this knowledge being around the death process. And I know that it has fueled some of your books about thinking, how do we live our best life here? So what do you know for sure about our time here and how we're supposed to use it, how we're supposed to use it the best? Well, what uh, most, most, most of this learning came from being able to sit with dying patients as they were looking back on their lives and hearing them talk about um, revelations they had had and epiphanies about life and what it all meant when they were looking back on it at the very end. And sometimes talking about their regrets, but sometimes talking about ways of seeing things that happened that they had never understood before, like new new understandings and new clarity that they had as they were dying. And for me, as I said, because I was um, in hospice because of this tragedy of my father's suicide that I had, was trying for years and years to cope with and figure out how to explain, all of this began to come together for me to understand and You know, a a statement that I'd heard so many times before that we're not physical beings who having a spiritual experience, we're spiritual beings having a physical experience, but that suddenly made so much sense to me. And I recognized like, I'm a soul who came to earth, who came to, to be in a physical form so that I could learn things that can only be learned through the, through a physical body that can only be learned by having this body and by that can only be learned also by experiencing birth and death since the soul itself as pure spirit doesn't isn't born and doesn't die uh, it's only by being part of a physical body that we get to experience those transitions and suddenly it all made sense to me like oh wow this is actually this is what we came here for to experience this and to experience the challenges and the suffering that comes with having a physical body that comes with loving people who die and and having to experience that grief so it really completely changed my perspective and i began to understand everything that's happened in my life is just it's part of my curriculum here i'm here to learn as much as i can And all these experiences are part of my curriculum. And so the better job I can do of actually learning and letting life teach me things, then the more fulfilled I will be and the more I will be aware that, yes, this is my path. I'm on my path and I'm moving from this lesson to the next lesson and I'm allowing myself to be instructed and allowing myself to learn as I go through life. So suddenly... I was able to really finally get out of this deep hole of grief that I was in because I realized that this is what I came here for. I came here to experience that grief and to carry it with me, but to not be broken by it, to actually be informed by it and to be an even bigger spirit and a bigger, more open heart for other people um, because of the grief that I've been through. So from all of that experience came um, the book that I wrote um, called What Really Matters, Seven Lessons for Living from the Stories of the Dying. So that book has stories of hospice patients and then um, the seven specific spiritual lessons that I learned from doing that work that really totally changed how I live my own life day to day. 
I love that. And I love the book too. Can you tell people um, where is it available if they want to get their own copy? It's available on Amazon and I do sell it through my website um, for now, but I only have a few copies left here that I can sell. And um, bookstores can order it. Most of them don't carry it, but they can order it if someone would rather shop at their local bookstore. That's perfect. I want to talk to you too about consciousness because uh, the way that I see our soul is its energy, its vibration, and it also has thought to it. In all of your research and all of your studies, what do you make out the soul to be? Well, I I do see it as... um, and an extension of the divine, I guess, um, the divine taking on a form that's capable of, of being embodied in physical form. So I, I see that our souls <clears throat> each have a unique identity um, that then is manifested too in our physical identity and physical form, but the soul is also one with the divine. So at some point, the soul merges back into the divine spirit and is one of the whole. So that's what I see consciousness as the soul and something that does not die and um, that, that persists after death and that has a specific purpose and reason for being, for taking on the physical form. Um, and beyond that, you know, I, I puzzle a lot about does an individual soul persist after death and do we keep our individual identity or is, uh, you know, I, that's the part I, I don't know about that yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I can tell you the way that I see it is that it's twofold, right? So if um, I tell people, if God is all of the water here on earth, all the lakes, the rivers, the oceans, and you took that water and you split it up into individual droplets, those individual droplets are our souls. But then we're also made in the likeness and image of God in that our soul is omnipresent as well. So what I see on the other side is that heaven is broken up into multiple different layers or realms. And the highest vibration that is, is still where all of that water is intact it's all still one, but then there's also different things that we can experience on the other side. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, definitely. Yes. And I wanted to, along those lines, I wanted to ask you, because I sometimes have, when I work with families who've had a loved one die, some of them really, really want to maintain contact with the loved one after death and it doesn't happen for them. And they're really disappointed when they feel like they're not in contact. And what I've been told is that sometimes grief is an obstacle for that contact happening because it's a low vibratory state mm-hmm. and that it, that the contact sometimes can't be maintained and, or can't occur until that person rises out of grief. Is that what your experience Um, that, but then there, and it doesn't happen very often, right? I think I've, um, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of people and there might be five who, um, have come to see me and nobody has been able to come through. And when that happens, I don't charge anybody because, um, I I really believe in what I do. Uh, but when that happens, what I see on the other side 
is that there are realms that I have access to see. There are things that they can show me on the other side, but I don't have access to it all, which is really interesting because both of my grandfathers, um, my biological grandfathers are on the other side. And I was very close, um, almost like a second father, my mom's dad was like a second father to me. My dad's dad, I wasn't as close to, but I can access my dad's dad with no problem on the other side. He is right there. He's on my spiritual team. He helps me all the time. I can't access my mom's dad. He um, has shown me that he's in a different realm that I don't have access to. It's all positive, um, but that he's doing a lot of work on the other side. And so I, I just don't have all of the answers. I don't have all of the access. It's rare, but it does happen. Mm, that, that's really interesting. Um, well, do you mind if I ask you yeah, a question? No, no, no. Um, because uh, so I, my very best friend from high school died when we were 29 years old. And I hadn't seen her for about a year um, when she died. And I really had a hard time accepting the idea that she actually had died. And her parents had just a memorial service. I didn't get to see her after she died. And so I was kind of holding on to this fantasy in my mind that she went to Paris to start a new life and live and that her death wasn't real because that was the only way I could seem to cope with it. But about three years later, I had a dream again where um, I was taken into this big um, arena, like a big sports arena. And in the middle of it was a coffin. And I was asked to go down to the coffin and she was in it, but she was alive. And she looked like she was 14, which is when we first met each other. She was 14 years old and had braids in her hair. She was just adorable. And we hugged each other and laughed. And I was so excited because it's like, I knew you were still here. I knew you were, I knew you were. And she said, I am still here right now. But she said, I came because um, you need to let me go because I have work I need to do in another place. And I need to go now. And I need you to be able to say goodbye to me. And that's when I realized like, well, I just did. I, I, I didn't realize like I was in some ways was holding her near to me in right. a way because of my failure to accept her death. And that she stayed with me as long as maybe I needed her to, but then she needed to go because she, so I just wondered if you've heard things like that because she had work she needed to do somewhere else. Yeah. And that's the exact same thing that comes through with my grandfather on the other side. It does relate to the work that they're doing here. And if you imagine, okay, so let's go back to that example of the one little droplet of water and somehow they can split that droplet, our soul into multiple different pieces to be in different places doing different things all at once. There may be something where if they're working in this realm of work where they're connecting with us here in this realm, um, helping us here, maybe they need more pieces of that droplet to be able to do the work that they're doing on the other side. Uh, that's what they keep showing me right now and that they can't connect as much to us. That's really interesting because that was, um, I saw her, her in that dream just a year 
or a year or two before my dad died. And it also made, it just occurred to me that she was coming back to say to me, you have to accept death because you have important, because I have important work to do about with death and that it was time for me. I couldn't stay in this denial state. I needed to start facing it and feeling the grief and accepting death because I was being prepared for my dad to die also. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know exactly how or why it works this way, but spirit never comes through with anything bad. I mean, the most that they come through with is boundaries, right? And um, because I have worked with my dad before and my dad will take a step back from me and he'll say, you have to do this on your own. You can't rely on me 100%. So there are boundaries with how much we can access them. Um, And there are some people who, when they cross over to the other side, they're doing such intense work. They're doing such powerful work that they have to focus on that work and their connection to us here can't be as great. But again, I do see that as being a little bit more rare. Uh, And you know what? The other thing that they're just saying now is that most people, when your soul crosses over, takes a longer time to come back through. We take some time to process. We take some time to rejuvenate our batteries. Um, But there are some people who roll over more quickly and come back into other lifetimes. So um, what they're showing me is that part of that work and the reason that I might not be able to access it is because they're living again. Mm. They're not all on the other side. They're coming through again. That makes sense. Um, I did have a sense, you know, again, after my dad's suicide death, there was a lot of um, fear and worry because of how he died that would that interfere with his soul being intact on the other side or or what state was he in when he reached the other side? And I agonized over that a lot. And it was quite a few years before I had a dream of seeing my dad. Mm-hmm. And um, so I needed that. I needed to see him to see him be okay. And I don't know if you've had other experiences. Oh, yeah. You know, what, some of the most powerful sessions that come through are when people have passed from suicide because they come through with such powerful emotion. Oftentimes I'm crying. Um, and what I really want our listeners to know is that there is no bad place on the other side. So people, every single person who has come through passing from suicide is in a happy place. They're happy on the other side. They're not punished. We're not punished for suicide. We're not punished for divorce. They don't want that for us. And we have to work through the karma if we're going to do that because we're changing things um, and we're interfering with life plans. But so they do show us that we have very deep purpose here and they want us to work through that purpose. But for people who can't handle the energy here. And there's a lot of us right now, right? Who are very high vibrational beings. I think of all these children who are coming into this energy and they're just such high vibrational old souls. And they're having a hard time dealing with the energy here. It's much more tough this life um, than I believe our souls thought it would be. Mm. So there's no fault, you know, there's no fault for it. There's no bad side. They don't go to a bad place. All of them are happy, healthy. Um, Your dad shows me right now that he's on the other side in a place called home base. Mm 
um, on the other side. And we can talk about this a little bit later because there's a couple more private things coming through uh, about the factors surrounding his passing. Um, but he does show me both his mom and his dad are on the other side. Does he have a sibling on the other side as well? Yes, he has six six siblings on the other side. Okay. Yeah, because um, he's in this realm that I call home base where we really go. We have our own houses on the other side. All of our family lives up and down one street. It's more beautiful than you could ever fathom. And um, he's there. He also does a lot of work on your spiritual team. Do you have children? Yes. Okay. Uh, And are there grandkids too? Not yet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, we're waiting for those. <laughs> there will be. Because <laughs> um, he's showing me all the work that he's doing on the other side um, for you, um, your kids, and your future grandchildren who are going to be coming through. Oh, wow. That's that's yeah. very cool. Well, I about five years after he died, I did finally have a dream of him. And I saw him when he was like much younger. And he was so beautiful and laughing and happy and smiling. And that was, that was the reassurance I had been waiting for all those years. And I didn't know why it took that long, but it might've just been partly me too, like not quite being open enough yet because I hadn't, you know, I had only been doing hospice for a short time. So I hadn't totally opened myself to all of the spiritual issues yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when my dad passed, it was August 5th. And um, I, when I found out it was about September 5th and I came home and I was in the house alone and I just screamed. I was so angry. Um, I, I said, I always had the feeling you would fix things between us here on earth and you didn't fix things. And I swore up and down the wall um, using every word, but I, I was so pissed um, that he could do this, that he could leave in this way. And he came through with a visitation dream probably in the spring, like May, April, May of the next year. And so I can see what you're saying and I can feel the energy of it that even I had to work through, um, my grief and my, (sighs) anger. It was really a lot of anger for me personally. Um, before he could come through with the messages that he needed to fully mm. come through with. Oh, wow. I, I just resonate with that because um, I, had, I had my two kids when he died, um, a two-year-old and a four-month-old. And one of the emotions that I had to finally admit that I had was anger. I felt guilty that I was angry, so I was covering it up for a long time. But finally, I realized I felt angry because my kids don't get to have their grandpa. And because he didn't want to be here to watch them grow up. But what you just told me that he showed you that he's, it's like, oh, wait, he watched my kids grow. He's watching them grow up. It's okay. He has been watching them and interacting with them. It's just in a different way Mm -hmm. um, than I had always imagined in my mind. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know. You know, I I love the work that we do. I love that we are just so around it nonstop in our lives. Um, We've got a lot of similar threads. I'm wondering though, I find a lot of people are skeptical, you know, and they want proof. 
you've worked with so many different people and experiences. I'm wondering what's the most validating stories of proof that you know that the other side is real, that we do cross over to there, that they're still alive over there? Uh, Let's see. Well, gosh, I've had just so many of the experiences that I've had have shown it to me. Um, There's just so many stories I could tell. One of them that I um, that I didn't tell you in our other conversation was um, a woman that um, she she and her mother were both my patient. The daughter was um, cognitively challenged, so she had always lived at home. Her mom had taken care of her, and when her mom died, she continued to just live on her own and take care of herself and managed to get by. But she was very sad and grieving over her mom but she but when I saw her in follow-up a few times she started coming to me and saying well mom my mom comes and visits me in the house sometimes and she comes and sees me and talks to me so I'm not so lonely and I don't miss her so much anymore and um, during this this time the daughter my patient developed um, a breast mass that had to be, she had to have um, a mammogram, an ultrasound. The um, radiologist felt that it was probably cancer. And so I was trying to explain to her what cancer was and that she would have to have a biopsy. I really had no idea how is this poor, how will she survive all by herself if she has cancer and has to go through treatment? I don't know what we're going to do for her. So she went into the hospital for a biopsy. And the surgeon, again, told me, be prepared, it'll probably be cancer, and we're going to need you to come back and help explain to her what treatment she'll need. But the morning the biopsy was supposed to happen, the surgeon called me and he said, you won't believe this, but when I went in to do the surgery, there was no mass there. And he said, I repeated the ultrasound and the mammogram, and there was nothing there, so I didn't do anything and wow. he said, I, he said I, we must have misdiagnosed it. So I ran right over to the hospital to meet with her. And I said, Donna, like, you didn't have the surgery. And she said, oh, I know. Mo- mother told me I wouldn't be having the surgery. And I said, what? And she said, last night, mother came into my room. And I told her that I was scared because I was having some kind of surgery and I don't understand what it's about or why this is happening. And she said, mother said, no, there there won't be surgery. I've already taken care of that for you. And so, wow, that was back early in my days in medical practice. And that really blew me away because I saw a literal physical example of she had a breast mass that you could feel that you that you could see on um, on ultrasound and mammography that disappeared overnight. Wow, wow! And you, and with science, you can't explain that. No, there was no explanation except it was interesting to hear the surgeon trying to say there must have been an artifact on the mammogram. You know, it must have. He was trying to convince okay. himself that this yeah. could really have happened, right. but it did happen, and it it was it was really powerful and also really beautiful to see this woman that we worried about so much. She was so cared for and watched yeah. over in every moment. What an example of a miracle in this day and age. Yeah, it it was it was really powerful. I 
I was sad that I didn't know how to convince my colleague, the surgeon, <laughs> to, to just accept this. It was a miracle. Just, just hold it and let it yeah. be there as part of your awareness that miracles do happen. They and, do. Uh, they do. Um, I'm wondering, you know, I have a, um, a person in my life who is going through um, stage four cancer and she's been given a timeline on, on how long she has and she's really struggling with people in her life, friends, family members who come to her and say, you can beat this. I know you can have that miracle. I know that that could be you. And she says, but I'm dying, you know, and, and it just frustrates her to hear these people say to her, but I believe, I believe. How, how do you, in your work, what is the best approach for friends and for family members who have somebody who's very sick in their lives? How do you handle that? How do you talk to them? What do you say? What are the most appropriate things to say? Because I know that those people are coming from a place of feeling unsafe and unsecure and not knowing what to say and are just trying to do their best. But sometimes we do mistakenly say something that hurts the other person who's going through these situations. Mm -hmm. What's your take on this? What, what are we supposed to say? One of the things that I found that it, at least like the attitude that I try to take um, with loved ones is, I am I'm praying for the highest good and that I know that there is a highest good here. But I, I also know that sometimes um, the highest good on each of one of our paths is not necessarily to be healed or cured. That sometimes the highest good is that we go through difficulties and challenges. And sometimes that is that this is now our time. It's our time to experience the dying process. And um, I feel like the, one of the most important things we can do for our loved ones and friends is be there for them and be present. Um, and maybe if, if you don't know what to say, it's sometimes better not to say very much than to say, and, and, I tend to hold back on those words of encouragement of like, you can do this, you can beat it, you can fight it. Instead say, um, I believe in you. Like I believe that you, you're a beautiful person and you've lived a beautiful life. And I believe that whatever happens is going to be the best thing. And I'm here for you no matter what. And I support you no matter what happens. And I believe that this is going to be the best thing, whatever it is, because it's unknown. And so I, I usually emphasize, none of us knows how this will turn out. But I'm here for you in the midst of that unknown. And I will walk with you as far as I can, as far as I can go in this whole process, no matter where it leads, I'll be there for you no matter what it is. That's what I think people need to hear is, yeah. Uh, a lot of patients do know that they're dying and even when even their doctors are saying to them, oh no, if you try this other, you know, this other treatment, this, I'm sure this will help. But a lot of times patients know deep within like it, it won't work and they know because I'm on my path and this is what's, what's meant to happen, but they don't know how to even tell anyone else that that's the truth, that they're aware of just as your friend you're probably the one person who's comfortable enough that she can talk to about it so 
for all of the rest of us, it's getting comfortable with not knowing what the outcome will be and letting it be and surrendering to it. Whatever happens, it's going to be okay no matter what, as long as we just keep loving each other and can keep supporting each other. Yeah. And that's what it's all about, right? Love this yes. lifetime. Yes, exactly. Um, that's the conclusion I came to is that the highest good I could bring about from my life is figuring out how to give and receive love and how, how, how to be the purest channel I can be for love to come through me toward others. Yeah. Any, um, any tools you want to share about what you've learned that way? Um, well, I, I learned a lot about forgiveness <laughs> and that, that love, the biggest obstacle to love is not having forgiven people. And so, so I've learned a lot about I mean, making a daily practice of forgiveness because um, every time I hold on to some kind of resentment or some kind of hurt or wound, then I'm preventing love from coming through. So so I use, um, I journal a lot when I need to forgive someone. I write about it and, and journal about it. And I um, do Ho'oponopono. You've probably heard of that. It's, um, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I, I use that a lot to make sure that I'm just clearing up my energy all the time and that I'm not holding on to things and staying attached to wishing that something different had happened in my life, but accepting what is. Yeah. Well, Karen, thank you so, so much for taking your time to be on this show. Um, I'd love for people to check out your website because all of your books are listed on your website and they can see all the beautiful work that you've done. Can you tell people where to find you online and on social media? I have two websites. You can go to KarenWyattMD.com is kind of my more personal website. And I have End of Life University is at EOLUniversity.com. And there they can learn about podcasts and blogs and um, workshops I'm teaching and various things there. Oh, so fun. And, um, you know, if people want to listen to your podcast, is it on iTunes, Spotify, all the typical ones? Yes, yes. Okay. And it's called, also called End of Life University. So they can just search for it. And oh, fascinating. I can't wait to check that one out myself. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you again so much for your time today. You're so welcome. It's been delightful. And thank you. I really appreciate your, the help you gave me today. I so hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Before you go, here are a couple of freebies for you. If you write a review, um, and don't forget while you're on iTunes, please rate me five stars. You know, the more five-star ratings you have, Actually, the algorithms bump you up higher so that more people are seeing your podcast and are able to hear it. So please don't forget to leave a five-star rating. But if you also leave a review and it doesn't have to be long, it can just be like a short one sentence thing. If you write a review, a positive review and put your name in there so that I know who you are, I will enter you into a drawing to win a free session. Now, you're not just entered once, you're entered every month until you win. 
So if you just write one sentence, leave your name, I will put you into that drawing. That drawing is also available multiple times. So if you also take copy and paste that review, put it on my Facebook page. If you put it on Google, my company is Chicago Energy Healing, then I will enter you in three times if you leave it all three places. Again, that just has to be a positive review. Doesn't matter how long it is. But don't forget while you're there to rate the podcast five stars if you're on the Apple Podcast app. Also, I pray for all of you every day. I pray for all of my subscribers. I literally, when you subscribe on my website, I take that paper, I put it into a jar, and I make sure that I pray for everyone every morning. So if you know somebody who needs prayers, tell them to subscribe on the website. If you need prayers, definitely subscribe on my website. But um, yeah, all my subscribers, all my listeners, everybody, I pray for you every morning, but I actually physically take your um, name or your email address when you subscribe on the website. I cut that and I put it as a little piece of paper into my prayer jar. So uh, definitely subscribe on my website. That's www. Dot Jancis, J-A-N-C-I-U-S as in Sam, dot com. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today, everybody. Much love, light, and happiness to you all. Disclaimer. This podcast provides general information and discussion about energy healing, spiritual topics, and related subjects. The conversations and other content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical, psychological, and or professional advice. If the listener or any other person has a medical concern, he or she should consult with an appropriately licensed physician or other healthcare professional. Never make any medical or health-related decision based in whole or even in part on anything contained in the Angels and Awakening podcast or in any of our linked materials. You should not rely on any information contained in this podcast and related materials in making medical, health-related, or other decisions. You should consult a licensed physician or appropriately credentialed healthcare worker in your community in all matters relating to your health. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Again, angel messages, energy healing, and the information you receive here does not constitute legal, psychological, medical, business, relationship, or financial advice. Do not take any of the advice given in any Angels and Awakening podcasts or sessions in lieu of medical, psychological, legal, financial, or general professional advice. Please note, Angels and Awakening is a podcast produced by Chicago Energy Healing, a company with locations in Wheaton and Naperville, Illinois. 